0: It's great to be again with you tonight. And for for those that still don't know me, uh, my name is Samuele, I'm married to Savannah, and we have a little daughter called Rivka. And yes, I belong to the strange people group that doesn't eat pineapple on pizza, doesn't put chicken in pasta, and generally doesn't have a cappuccino after 12 um, p.m. As you you will know, I'm I'm Italian. (laughs) And tonight, I'm breaking another British custom, which is not related to food, strangely but to what I understand British culture to be, which is, if I understand correctly, that in the UK we don't really talk about money, right? Well, fortunately or unfortunately, money is mentioned over 800 times and is one of the most referenced topics in the Bible. So tonight we will look specifically at growing through tithing or growing through giving. And this is part of the Creed series that we are going through and it's part of the E of Equip. And guess what, actually? Even though people often might dread talking about money, I'm actually quite excited about the opportunity of speaking on Christian giving and how that is necessary for our growth in Christ. And that's weird, isn't it? But perhaps I'm excited because I had the privilege of meeting people who were actually changed by the transforming effect that giving has when it's done the right way. Or perhaps because in the last year, After finishing studying, I've been working at a Christian organization called Stewardship, who some of you might know. And Stewardship facilitates giving to churches, charities, uh, Christian workers, and has the vision for the world to to encounter Jesus through the generosity of his church. And some material for this message was actually provided by Stewardship. But having said said that, at the same time, of course, I'm also quite nervous because I recognize that this message is first of all for myself, and this is something that I need to grow as well in it. And that's also why I found it beneficial to actually study a little bit more. And we will start by looking first um, briefly at tithing, at what it is in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and how it still applies to us. And we'll then look at three aspects that giving make us grow in and have some final reflections. So tithing is an Old Testament commandment as you read in Leviticus 27.30, a tithe of everything from the land, whether the grain from the soil or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Basically, it meant that 10% of all those things that they received through the land, by as well of herd and flocks, was to be given to the Lord. And tithing served as one of the ways in which God provided for the priests, the Levites, the keep of the temple, the care for widows, orphans, foreigners, and as well to feed the hungry and provide worship and celebration. And there are other tithes that we read in the Old Testament and most commentators agree that one would probably end up tithing over 20%. And there are of course also some spiritual reasons for which the Israelites were supposed to tithe. We still apply to us today. Deuteronomy 14, verses 22 and 23 points out that tithing is a way that we can learn to rever the Lord. And as part of this reverence, people were not just supposed to tie anything, right? Or like the leftovers. No, in Proverbs 3, 9, it says to honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Look at the words. He called tithing a way that we can honor the Lord. And he said that we should do it with the first fruits, not with what's left over. How could be honoring that otherwise? And just as the farmer gave of his first fruits before the certainty of the arrival of the rest of the harvest, so we too want to give the first part of our income rather than what's left at the end of the month after all the standing orders and subscriptions have been paid. And as you might know, the Old Testament takes this quite seriously. So much that in Malachi 3, 8 and 9, calls not tithing a way to rob God. And when we get to the New Testament, we can assume that Jesus adopted the same doctrines because there's no hint to the contrary. In fact, in Matthew 23, 23, in a conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees, Jesus doesn't dismiss their extremely precise tithing. Rather, he emphasizes that they shouldn't neglect more important matters of the law. And the, bat- the pattern of Jesus' teaching was towards generosity and selfless- selflessness. And so if, if anything, it would probably have encouraged people to give more rather than less. And even though the New Testament doesn't mention much about tithing, it does talk about giving. So we can actually know that this concept is not an obsolete concept that was only for practicing Jewish. And at the same time, as a tithe at that time would go to the temple, um, for us, we can give it to the church. And one of the most fundamental concepts that we consider giving at our time, that if we get wrong, will make everything way more difficult, is that everything we have belongs to the Lord, is from the Lord. King David acknowledges this when he and his people, after they've given generously for the building of the temple, not just the possessions, but as well their time as well. And he says, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this. Everything, everything comes from you, and we have been given you only what came from your hands, from 1 Chronicle 29, 14. We are simply called to be actually active stewards of what we have been entrusted. From Matthew 25, 14 to 13, the parable of the talents, we learn that whether you have been working hard for what you have, or whether you have received it as a gift from someone else, Well, all we have belongs to the Lord, and we are entrusted with these things with the purpose of stewarding them to advance his kingdom and for his glory. So it's all God's money, and we have the privilege and responsibility to steward them. A similar modern example will probably be with the trustees of a charity. They can and need to spend the charity's money, and they can even claim personal expenses. However, they should use it only on projects and for the work that directly relates to the fulfillment of the charity's objectives. Otherwise, they are in trouble. And are we not trustees and ambassadors of a very important charity, the body of Christ, the bride and church? Do we understand our responsibility? Another example, probably less adequate, that emphasizes another aspect of our money not actually being our money, it's like as if you had a friend, and you might have access to your friend's bank account, and you would use it. Of course, don't do it, please. But wouldn't you have a feeling of freedom of spending, and wouldn't you think, I can just spend the money since it's not mine? Well, similar thing, perhaps, when we are young and our parents are paying for everything, right, guys? Oh, it doesn't matter, my dad and my mom will pay for it. But what if it was the same with our money? I'm not saying, like, go wild and spend because this wouldn't be good stewarding. But what if we had the same freedom in giving to others because at the end of the day, it's not our money, but it's God's. And the amazing thing in the Bible is that giving is not portrayed as a command that we have to do, right? That God knows that you know, we don't like to do it, but he still makes us do it. No, giving comes with many promises of growth and blessing when we give willingly and cheerfully. And so it is possible to grow through giving, and tonight we're gonna to consider three, as I said before, three main aspects. The first one is that giving is a visible sign that we treasure God above our riches, above anything else. Therefore, it leads us closer to God and keeps our faith on track. In Matthew six, nineteen to twenty-one, Jesus commands us not to store up treasures for ourselves on earth, but to store up treasures in heaven. Because where our treasure is, there also our heart will be. And a few verses later, in verse 24, Jesus again says that we cannot serve two masters, we cannot serve God and money. Where is our treasure? Consciously or unconsciously? Where do we put our trust and sense of security? Are we putting all of this in our in ourselves, in our skills, in our salary? And what is the purpose actually of our work and our lives? Paul in Philippians 3, verse 8 says that I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And a few words later, I consider the garbage that I may know Christ, and I just cannot get my head around the sentence, surpassing worth of knowing Christ, much worthier than anything we heard anything we owe, and anything we will ever have on this earth. And Jesus expresses this again in a parable of the treasure in the field in Matthew 13, where a man, having found his treasure, sells everything that he had to buy that field and to have that treasure. Everything that he had, all that he had. Has this person seen something about Christ, about the eternal joy and satisfaction in him, that perhaps we struggle to grasp and haven't seen or experienced ourselves. Hence, we might not be willing to go all in if needed. First Timothy 6:10 10 states that love, the love of money is the root of all evils. And what is one of the greatest, most subtle evils if not that our eyes can be clouded from seeing, experiencing, and tasting the beauty the sufficiency and considering of christ and considering that way above our material possessions from second corinthians 8:3, we also read that we are called to give sacrificially as david in second samuel 24 we want to give something that costs to us as a tangible proof of our love to, for our love for god and for our neighbors Paul Blackham writes that a gift that costs us nothing may be weighty on a health, earthly level, but it doesn't weigh anything on a heavenly scales. And a gift may not weigh much on earthly scales, but it has great weight in, a divine, in the divine throne room. And as the boy with five small loaves of bread and two small fish, we want to give expectantly knowing and expecting God to take our gift and multiply it and use it to advance his kingdom. When we give sacrificially away our money, that's a practical way to say, Lord, I'm giving you away this even though it's hard, even though I have uncertainties myself about my financial future, but I treasure you above the gift I'm giving. And I treasure you even above the greater financial gift that you, have been, that you have blessed me in the first place. And guess what? This will, make, this will make us grow. This will make us shy away from being idolatrous with our possessions. And this will even grow our faith in him as we lean not on our own understanding, but trust in his sovereignty and provision. So giving will lead us to a closer relationship with God. But are we willing to take this step of faith and trust in the Lord? The second aspect is that giving blesses the giver and grows the kingdom. One of the perhaps most famous verses on giving is Acts 20:35. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when we look at the context, these were the last words of Paul to the believers in Ephesus. Having spent three years there, now it was the last time that he was going to see them and this was his final reminder. So you can imagine that he would have chosen something to say that was extremely important for their lives. But in what sense it is more blessed? Like Luke 6.38 used perhaps similar words saying, giving, sorry, give and it will be given to you. But is this like the prosperity gospel where we are kind of told that the more money I give and then the more likely i get rich and finally afford to get that Ferrari that I really desire? And then actually the reality is that just the people, it's like a pyramid scheme, and only the people at the top get extremely richer, richer. Well, Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, 18 and 19, that by doing good deeds and by being generous, we are storing up treasures in heaven. But perhaps he clarifies this even more in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, which we read before. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly, we also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously, we also reap generously. And a few verse later, in verse 11 says, "You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. and through us and through us, your genero- generosity will result in thanksgiving to God." So this text implies that if we give generously, we will reap generously, not for our own benefit, but so that we can continue to give generously in every occasion. So if we steward well our finances, we will be entrusted even with more. We basically become conduits for God to pour out more of his blessings to others. And this will be for his kingdom expansions, and as the final verse says, will result in thanksgiving and for the glory of God. But are we being faithful in the little things? Are we willing to so generously to invest generously so that his kingdom will later on reap abundantly? Our church needs support, ministry needs support, missionaries need support. Investing in the kingdom is essential for gospel advancement. You know, it can sound silly, but as the kingdom of Israel had all the tithing system to function, if you want to expand the kingdom of God, that will be a necessity as well, both to reach the people around us and to reach the unreached people who never heard the name of Jesus. And it's important to remember that giving generously and reaping abundantly, though, is not a mathematical rule. Yes, it could actually be what maybe we can call like the, the circle of giving. For example, when I was in the Philippines um, for an outreach, we stayed with a church for a week, and uh, the pastor there was extremely generous to us. Like, he didn't want us to spend a penny. He treated us out to eat, I think it was like twice a day. He took us to the spa, bowling, and he really blessed us richly. And when we asked him, why did he do so much for us? He explained that he himself went years before to an outreach in another country, and he was treated the same. So he kind of wanted to pass that on to someone else. So this then created in me in our desire and in our team to bless other missionaries group when when they come and when they came to actually my home city in Italy. And as Tim Keller says, we sow seeds, but we don't reap seeds, right? We reap fruits, we reap crops, whatever else, something better. So the consequence of our generous giving is not directly more financial income, but it can be treasures in heaven, people turning to Christ and growth in Christ-likeness, which is actually our third and last aspect for tonight. Just giving generously make us more like our triune God who hasn't withheld giving generously to his children. And it is true for every person of the Trinity for the Father, for the Son, and for the Holy Spirit. And when we think about the generosity of the Father, we think primarily of His infinite love. And you know, in our earthly limitations, we're always accounting and measuring because all we have just seems so limited. Tozer, however, in the knowledge of the Holy, writes that God's infinitude belongs to us. And because God's nature is infinite, everything that flows out from Him is also infinite. So how completely satisfying to turn from our limitations to a God who has none. And those who are in Christ share with him all the riches of uh, limitless time and endless years. And that we are the recipients then of the, his infinite love which is poured out. As also uh, Pastor Ian said before, Romans 8.32 says that he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how we will not also along him graciously give us all things. There is no limit to what we can receive and give when we are giving out all that the Father has given to us. But when we are trying to hold up what the Father gives to us, it's very little we can receive or give. Is that what we are doing? Or are we holding our possession loosely, knowing that it don't belong to us? And when we think about the generosity of the Son, we think about His priceless gift. The depth of generosity is measured by the cost of giving. And what is the price that Jesus paid? Jesus is the eternal and infinite ever-begotten Son of the Father. The whole universe was formed and ordered by Him, and it all holds together in Him. He was enthroned in the highest heavens, surrounded by millions of angels, all yearning just to do his will. So Jesus was impossibly rich, but yet he gave all of it up just in order to rescue us. It's amazing, isn't it? As 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake, for my sake, he became poor so that by his poverty, he could make you and me rich. And we can fully appreciate how costly his generosity was only by looking at his birth, life, and death. Philippians 2, uh, verses 6 and 8 says that at his birth, Jesus became lower than the angels. His birth was not into royal palaces or, privilege, or in privilege, but into poverty, into a manger. His earthly life saw him on the run as a refugee, and then he went to the bottom of human society in order to reach each one of us. In his life, the devil tempted him to take easy options, but Jesus refused all of those temptations in order to be the spotless champion that we all needed. And to be that for us, he had to sacrifice so much day after day and after day. And the generous, the generous costly gift of the Son go as far as in becoming forsaken dying without dignity on a cross and experiencing the full wrath of God, all to bring the last one's home to the Father. No matter how much we felt the cost of giving, we have never felt the battle of Gethsemane. None of us has faced giving to the point that our identity is so deeply threatened. Yet, that is the depth of generosity of the Son. And when we give joyfully and sacrificially, we grow and become little by little more like Him. Lastly, the generosity of the Spirit and His lavish gift. Job 33.4 says, The Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. Every breath we take, every move we make is a loving gift from the Spirit. Our first birth is a gift from the Spirit and our second birth too is a wonderful gift from the Spirit. And the Spirit also gives all kinds of gifts all to the different members of the church so that the gifts they can can use to build one another up. Yet how do we use the gifts of life, of new life and the gracious gift that the Spirit gives us? How do we use them? Are we good investment for the Holy Spirit? Does he actually get a good return on all that we are given? Well, the reality is that the Holy Spirit invests in us and keeps on giving to us so richly, and yet we spoil His divine work and waste many of these gifts because of our sinful natures day by day. And what will happen if this will prompt the Spirit to stop giving? What will happen? Well, thankfully, the Holy Spirit shows us generosity because He sees the end, sees what we are destined for, sees the heavenly treasure that is worth so much more. And as we give, we want to be more like the Holy Spirit, and we will become more like Him if we don't have the attitude of wanting to control our organizations or church or people we give to, even when they use the gifts that we give in a different way than maybe we would. Additionally, We don't want to give only towards ministries where the fruit of our giving is more immediate and evident, but we want to continue to invest even where the soil is hard. Even though it's calculated that only like 1% of the money given to mission goes towards the rich where there's no access to the gospel, for example many areas in the Muslim world, where after decades you might only see a couple of people turning to Christ. So in our own generous giving, we want to be careful and wise in the way we give, but we also must always have in mind that final accounting when true value can be measured. This will make us more like the Spirit. And I know that the, all of these can seem very hard, but I think the key is in Second Corinthians 8.5, where he says, they gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God to us also. We want to grow through our tithing or giving. Then me, you, we all need to have the right attitude, the right vision of the world, and our eyes fixed on what really matters and is eternal. And the only way to do that is day after day to give ourselves to the Lord, treasuring him above anything else. And as a circle, we will grow and will be transformed so that we then can have more impact for in his kingdom. And as we reflect on this, I just wanted to mention that I'm aware of the generosity of this church and I particularly wanted to thank the whole church and um, the people that have been giving well sacrificially, first of all to Savannah when she was on the uh, Wham ship, then to both of us when we were uh, studying adult nations and now in preparation for long-term cross-cultural mission. However, sadly, in the Christian world, there's still like a massive giving gap, which is basically the gap between the amount if every believer will tithe 10% and the actual amount that is tithed. So the, the difference between the, the amount if everyone will tithe 10% and actually what is tithed, that's the giving gap. And for sure it's influenced by the cost of living crisis and many other things, but this gap is now to, believed to be around seven to eight billion pounds, which is a lot of money. And the question is how much of this is ours? So this evening, I want to encourage you to consider our giving, how this equips us and makes us grow in Christ. And let's pray that the Lord will guide us to give generously with the right attitude for His kingdom advancement. And if you want to have any practical help, um, you can download the resources on the screen uh, from the stewardship website, there are free. The first one is a guide for 18 to 30s, um, and the second one is uh, the same, but for like married couples, you can scan the QR code, you can come later on to me. And if you're interested, you can even open uh, the, last, the other slide, a giving account, which uh, will basically just help you manage your giving to quotas you care about in the kingdom. And it's very simple and I can help you if, if you're interested in, in that. But maybe you haven't experimented the generosity of God and his most precious gift in your life. Maybe you haven't tasted his goodness understood how much it costed to him to make a way to bring redemption in your life. Well, if that's you, God is calling you to accept his gift, to put your trust in him now, not just with your finances, but with your whole life. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you forgiveness for our sins. We ask you to forgive us because often, we treasure not what, what is in heaven, Lord, but we treasure what is on this earth. Forgive us for all the time that we try to both serve money and you, but as you, care, as you say, we can't. Lord, we confess that our fleshy heart desires are not for yourself, but for the things of this world. Lord, we confess that so many times you are not our ultimate treasure. And we don't do things with your economy in mind and for your glory, but rather for ours. Lord, we ask you forgiveness for all of these things, and we ask you to fill us with your spirit, to enable us to be doers of your word, even when it's about our finances. And we pray that all of this will result in the advancement of your kingdom and ultimately for your glory. Finally, I want to pray for you who haven't experienced the Lord's goodness and his gracious gift. I pray that through the moving of his Holy Spirit, you will recognize your need for God and how much. He has freely given to you just to reach you and to have a restored relationship with you that will both result in your everlasting joy and for his glory. And I pray all of these things, Lord, in your son's Jesus' name. Amen.